It's time for the LaneCast with Montana's very own Talkin' Ag, Lane Nordland, your voice for agriculture. All right. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the Agriculture Conversation on the Lancast Ag Podcast. We're going to have a great conversation talking about U.S. beef exports to our key Asian trading partners. Joel Haggard is the Senior Vice President for Asia-Pacific Trade for the U.S. Meat Export Federation. He will be calling in from Hong Kong from the USMEF office there. We will discuss the key trading relationships that the U.S. has with many Asian nations. Just for example, January through September, U.S. beef exports to China were up 160% from a year ago, valued at $129.6 million. We're going to talk about why those exports were up during a pandemic, and I'll also learn more about time zones. I guess I missed that in uh, grade school and high school. (laughs) With that said, we're going to take a quick sponsor break, but we'll be back with Joel Haggard with the U.S. Meat Export Federation right after this. You're still raising cattle and we're still standing with you. The National Cattlemen's Beef Association was the first to call for an investigation into the cattle markets after the Holcomb plant fire in 2019. And we were the first to expand the investigation after COVID-19 hit the industry. We work across all levels of government, ensuring you have the freedom and the flexibility to operate with confidence. Help develop the policy that moves the beef industry forward. Join NCBA and add your voice to that of 25,000 ranchers who are still raising cattle. As we return back today, Joel Haggard with the U.S. Meat Export Federation joins us from Hong Kong. It's a little late there compared to where I'm broadcasting from in Montana, but uh, how was everything going in Hong Kong here today? Yeah, very well. Well, it's actually early here. Oh, okay. uh, we're, we're, We're fine. We're fine. We're used to that. I mean, we're... uh you know, we're an extension of our uh, U.S. organization, so we kind of have to be on 24-7 call. Perfect. Well, uh, thanks for being up early with us uh, here today. Maybe I should learn my time zones, you know, a little bit better there. <laughs> but, uh, Joel, obviously, uh, as we maybe focus on, on beef exports uh, from the U.S., the Asian market uh, is a huge opportunity to continue to grow access for U.S. beef producers. COVID-19, that, we, we all know what a wrench that that uh, threw into uh, trade negotiations, exports themselves. At the beginning of 2020, we're off the Cattle Industry Convention, and we're, we're talking about all these trade successes, and everyone was just so enthusiastic, and then the world just turned upside down. From your perspective in the USMEF office in Hong Kong, uh, can you just share a little more about how the pandemic uh, influenced uh, the export markets and uh, other factors here this year? Yeah, well, I'm, you know, I think everyone um, may remember, they may not remember, but the pandemic really started here. So um, in Hong Kong, we were, you know, we were on the front lines. Of course, it, it rolled out in China just after Chinese New Year. That's in late January. And then China locked down till early March, but really by early March, China was kind of on the mend. And, um, and, and it's just, um, it, it's quite amazing just how fast the pandemic kind of played out there. So in China, which is our largest pork market this year and uh, a market for beef products that's uh, really started to come online since the pandemic ended there, it, you know, it's back to a new normal. And, uh, and for the rest of Asia, you know, we have two other big markets in North Asia, Japan and Korea. They never went through the, the hard lockdowns that um, we saw in the Western countries. Um, they managed to kind of test and isolate um, 
infected people and, uh, and keep some semblance of normalcy. Of course, food service was hit hard, but just like everywhere else in the world, retail was strong. So we've seen, um, we've seen import levels of beef into um, China, Hong, uh, Hong Kong, Japan, and Korea remain somewhat normal. They could have been better, but um, uh, those supply chains held, demand held pretty strong. And so um, it's been actually not as bad as we thought it would be uh, like at the end of Q1. What is it like over in Hong Kong and what are you, and what, what are you hearing from other Asian nations in cities in terms of what does the consumer habit look like? What is the buyer experience and preferences? What is that looking like here today? Well, it varies by country greatly, but, but let's look at China. So they came out of this, uh, they, they came out of this pandemic in, in let's say June, July. And uh, of course, um, during the hard lockdown, every restaurant in China was closed, basically. They have 10 million restaurants. So imagine, I mean, this is a hard lockdown. Uh, the population really couldn't even exit from their homes. The only option, the grocery store or online sales. Online sales take off at retail, food services shut down till April or May. But really by July, you start to see um, you know, this tentative rebound in food service demand, schools are reopening, catering operations are reopening, retail's still going strong. And then in October uh, in China, we see food service revenues exceeding pre-COVID levels already. Revenge spending. Chinese cannot go overseas, the borders are still sealed. What do they do? They, they, spend, that, they spend their money uh, going out uh, for food. Now that, um, you know, that China is a, uh, a unique place in terms of how this pandemic played out. Um, a little bit more cautious on the consumer side in Japan and Korea. Korea has one of the most advanced e-commerce um, industries of any nation. And uh, you know, the pandemic everywhere really accelerated the online experience. In Korea, it uh, you know, accelerated that, that even more. Uh, a lot of online grocery shopping, home meal replacement, meal kits. These are, you know, these are items that kind of flew off the shelves and out of the out of the kitchens uh, through this pandemic. We uh, talked uh, quite a bit over the past year, year and a half about African swine fever and the depopulation efforts that uh, were, were taking place in China. And any market expert or someone that's uh, more uh, uh, enthusiastic about seeing more protein from the U.S. Uh, being exported to China in particular to, to try to fill that uh, lack of protein due to the uh, to ASF there, if I can say it. How is that looking over there? I know China is importing live hogs to try to rebuild their population. Is this still a big opportunity for U.S. protein producers to help fill that uh, gap of, of lack of protein? ASF has been the bigger driver of meat market trade dynamics than COVID. And, um, and, and this ASF the impact on, on supply and demand really kind of peaked earlier this year. And so yes, we see record pork imports into China, record beef imports, record poultry imports. Um, I, they were just chasing protein uh, from all corners of the earth and they've managed to bring it in. And, um, and so, uh, but in the meantime, producers in China looking at $300 per head margins are trying as, to expand their herds as fast as possible. 
And uh, we are seeing signs um, over the last couple of months that the, the, the recovery in the herd is actually uh, uh, well underway. But hog prices are still really high. So they have a way to go. But um, we, we think that the recovery is gonna happen and that next year, perhaps those massive import levels we saw this year might be a slight reduction, still large imports next year, but maybe a little bit less than this year. One of the biggest uh, questions that uh, producers are asking is what a Biden administration trade agenda may look like, uh, what your efforts, how that is going to adapt to the, the trade policy, especially with the phase one uh, trade deal the U.S. Uh, signed with China, how that may change. Uh, overall, what, what, what will the goal of USMEF be in, in terms of trying to negotiate a different trade climate? Well, we, uh, you know, we don't negotiate trade agreements ourselves, but um, we, uh, we try to take advantage of them. And, uh, you know, this phase one agreement on, on several levels has been really good for us. It gave, this, uh, gave us this expanded access. Now we're seeing uh, China beef imports from the United States really start to accelerate, especially since uh, mid-year. And, uh, you know, that's due to these, these, new, uh, these new access conditions. So phase one, under phase one, uh, China also agreed to make a minimum agricultural uh, purchases, but they really need these commodities. They've needed the soybeans, they've needed the corn, they've needed the pork, they've needed the sorghum. Um, so so these, the, these things are happening commercially anyway. Um, we certainly hope that, um, you know, we would hope that uh, the duties, um, you know, we can get further duty relief we're still operating under punitive duties, especially on the pork side. If those come down, that's going to that's going to equal more profits for the for the U.S. pork industry who's exporting to China. Um, so we, you know, traders traders in general they like stability, and uh, so we'd like to see uh, you know obviously a, a, a calm trade situation. So so the the buyers in China um, you know can 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 look out a little bit and say okay the political risk. Um, that's been diminished and we can trade under more uh, stable circumstances. And of course, as you mentioned, you don't negotiate the trade deals, but uh, you, you do put the product in front of buyers and, and really promote it. Uh, obviously, COVID changed that, that interaction, but, but looking ahead, how are, are that the face-to-face the -face and the virtual uh, uh, meetings and uh, collaborations, how is that going to change uh, the strategy for USMEF in 2021? Yeah, well, I, I know it's hard to imagine uh, around the rest of the world. In China, there's no restrictions. There's no more restrictions. We've been, uh, we've been, we attended a couple of trade shows uh, uh, within the last two weeks. There was a big one in Shanghai last week. Uh, there was one in Hong Kong. We have big barbecues. Um, we have seminars. So we're really, in, in some ways, we're really back to, to kind of the, uh, the, the you know, pre-COVID operating procedures, um, you know, that, that, um, that, that China now allows because uh, they have their, COVID situation under control. Now there's still, there have been some small outbreaks. Um, it is a new normal, but, um, but basically, I mean, if, if you're having trade shows where tens of thousands of people are attending, you can imagine what the marketing environment's like. Mm -hmm. So um, it, it, is, it is somewhat back to, to uh, normal in China. It's a little bit different, a little bit different Hong Kong, Japan, and Korea. But again, as I mentioned earlier, no hard lockdowns there. There's a little more of the virtual activity 
uh, type of uh, operating uh, manner. But, uh, you know, we look forward to more normalcy next year. And when we talk about next year, are, are there any projections that USMEF can, can possibly share on, on what we think protein exports will be? Well, what we hope next year is uh, because China has been our number one market for pork, we are, you know, we are watching this herd recovery. Um, what, what we're trying to do strategically, I think, is we're, we, we want to really get back into those other markets um, that we think will recover next year. We're going to have to uh, pick up market share in Japan and Korea and Mexico. Mexico's already starting to come back on the pork side. Also, I would say that on the beef side, uh, we look forward to, uh, you know, return in demand, more normalcy on the, those critical food service sectors in Japan, Korea, and China. Australia's got a tight cattle supply right now, so we want to try to take advantage of that next year, try to get it, get as much momentum as we can, especially in these, uh, you know, this new market, China, for us. We are out for so long. Um, now we're back in. We really want to try to solidify some of the gains that we're seeing uh, made uh, here in the second half of the year. Well, Joel, uh, thank you so much for, for sharing your insight and your uh, on-the-ground approach and experience over in Hong Kong and uh, our Asian Nation trading partners. Uh, any last thoughts or comments you would just like to share with uh, folks here in the Western United States here today? No, well, we, we always say that we really appreciate the support we get from the producers, you know, everyone in the supply chain that, that supports, uh, you know, our, our organization's efforts, which are the industry's efforts to market uh, U.S. red meat. Um, you know, without those uh, uh, contributions, um, you know, we wouldn't be able to, to do, do what we are able to do. Again, Joel Haggard with the U.S. Meat Export Federation coming to us from Hong Kong today. Joel, thank you for joining us. Okay, thank you. All right, friends, that will do it for today's Agriculture Conversation. I'm Lane Nordland. We'll catch you next time. Thank you for tuning in to the LaneCast with Talkin' Ag, Lane Nordland. For more on Lane, check out his Facebook page, Lane Nordland Ag Broadcaster and NordlandCommunications.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the LaneCast on your Apple or Android devices. We look forward to joining you next time on the LaneCast.